Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Before we get going, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including 13 magazine-style stories in our first three months, and lots of free posts as well. That's grantwall.com to get my posts in your email inbox the second they go out. Gift subscriptions are also available. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. Our first guest in this episode is Alex Morgan of the U.S. Women's National Team and now the San Diego Wave of the NWSL. Our second guest is Jessica Black, the creator of She Knows Arsenal. Let's go. Our guest now is Alex Morgan, the U.S. Women's National Team star who just joined the San Diego Wave of the NWSL. Alex, congrats on the move and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here in San Diego and with you. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate that. So, I mean, you're from South- Southern California originally. Your husband, Servando Carrasco, is from the San Diego area. San Diego obviously makes sense for you to be there. Could you lead me through how this move came together? Um, honestly, we always saw ourselves settling down here um, after soccer, raising our family here, um, making roots in this community. And with the opportunity rising of San Diego Wave, um, obviously it was really intriguing for me. I still wanted to wait and kind of see like how ambitious the club was going to be, like what the next steps they were going to do to, um, you know, start gathering a team, um, seeing where the training facility, where the stadium was going to be, um, what kind of hirings they were going to have. And they've pretty much hit the nail on the head every single time with all of the questions that I had. And that kind of secured any um, real question marks I had about the club. Um, and, you know, looking forward, I'm just really excited because because I know that this is a super ambitious club. So here's what we know so far about the San Diego Wave. Jill Ellis is running the club. Casey Stoney is the coach. Players so far include you, Abby Dahlkemper, Jody Taylor, a few others. Uh, How good do you think this team can be in its first season? Honestly, I think we have one of the best goalkeepers in the world right now performing um, at her peak. We have Abby, one of the best defenders in the world. We have, you know, you just check a lot of the boxes. So um, obviously there was no playing it safe um, with this club. I think they really went and got the players that they were looking for. Um, I'm very grateful to be one of those players. And um, and I'm also looking forward to tomorrow and seeing what, what other teammates that we're going to have. Nice. Um, what do you know about Casey Stoney as a coach, as a person? I know that when, you know, I spoke with Kristen and Tobin, uh, last year when we were all playing in, uh, the women's super league that they said that, you know, Manchester United and Casey were, were both very ambitious. Uh, I, I think that she took that club as a really young club from the women's side to, um, a top four, uh, club in the women's super league in a very short period of time, had a lot of great signings. Um, she's being a center back, she, or a defender. She's, you know, a, she really wants to make sure that she has her back line nailed down. And you could already see that with some of the signings here. Um, so I think in general, there's still a lot I have to learn from Casey and who she is, um, as a coach and a person, but, um, but you know, I love what she's brought forward 
um, thus far. And obviously the club made a great decision in hiring her. You've played for quite a few clubs over the years. Do you think this is your last stop in club soccer? I see this as my final stop. Um, I, I think that this is kind of for me, you know, a coming home and is something that I see a long-term move uh, and a long-term partnership with this club, both on, you know, the soccer piece, but also the business side. And, um, and so with that in mind, I, I do see myself not only being a player, but a supporter after my career as well with this club. Have you thought about what you might want to do post-playing career? <laughs> uh, I've thought here and there. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've, I've been building that out a little bit, obviously with, uh, with my content company together and, um, and a couple other interesting things that I've started to, to venture into. Uh, but I also really want to focus on, you know, on playing because it's still, it's still what I love to do every single day. So it's the end of the year right now. It's always a good time at the end of the year to sort of look back at the year just passed. You had a very public, very admirable role in supporting Monashim and Sinead Farrelly when they told their story about coach Paul Riley's sexual abuse and coercion with them to the athletic, but you also went on national TV with them to support them. What led to you deciding to take such a, a significant role with that support? Just really being Mona's teammate and knowing what she went through and the abuse that she, um, and the harassment that she endured and the steps that she took, which was the right steps every single time every single step along the way was the right thing to do. And she was failed, um, by coaches, by owners, by the league. Um, and I thought this isn't right. If you, if it, if someone's trying to, to stand up for themselves, you know, and also at the consequence of possibly even losing their job at it, and they still can't get that person removed from their job because of the abuse of power that Paul Riley clearly had, then, you know, what else could she do? You know, she cut her career short because of that. And so I wanted to not only be, you know, a good friend and ally, but I also wanted to use the voice that I have and the platform I have to, to, to give her the microphone. And honestly, I, um, when I initially was interviewed for the piece by Meg, I didn't quite realize that (laughs) how, how big it could possibly be. And that I would, you know, really be the only named person um, that wasn't firsthand harassed or abused by Paul. But um, it was really important for me to show solidarity with Mon and Sinead. And um, and I think that a lot has changed, but still needs to change in the NWSL and in, and in women's sports in general. That was my next question is just how do you feel right now about the NWSL and its team's ability moving forward to get things right and protect their players? Um, part of me is extremely optimistic and part of me makes me want to just 
roll my eyes or shake my head with disappointment. Um, I was really, really hopeful with the CBA negotiations and the updates that we've been given. And it seems like there's kind of been a stall um, after the season ended and after the the championship was concluded, uh, the NWSL championship. Um, It's extremely important to get that done uh, soon because players need to, players need to sign contracts. Um, Teams need to know what sort of um, you know salary caps and and limits and things that they're gonna that they're gonna have? The league needs to continue to hire more people to have more brains in the room. That's the reason that they failed us so many times. You had Lisa and Lisa in the room bouncing ideas off each other, getting emails from Mon and Sinead, telling them this is not right. You have a man still abusing abusing women uh, and. And this needs to change and them just flat out ignoring those emails. It's just, um, it's really disgusting. But um, anyways, it's just two people in the room is just not enough. You know, the league needs more people. Um, There needs a better system in place to, to help these clubs succeed. You know, if we're, the, the clubs can only do so much. The league needs to stand up and set a good standard. And, um, and I want to be proud of the league that I play in, um, that I have played in for the last nine years. And, and I feel like as much as we might be starting over, as long as we can start over the right way, I'll be happy. Just wanted to wind up with a question about the U.S. women's national team. I know there's still things you want to achieve. You're a very goal-oriented person whenever I've covered you. Like, what are your goals for the U.S. women's national team moving forward? Uh, personally or? Per- personally and team. <laughs> I mean, team, obviously we have, we have World Cup qualifiers in the summer. So um, it's, it's dominating that. It's, uh, it's having the best team to go to the World Cup and, and get a fifth star. Um, for me personally, it's contributing to making sure that that happens. Um, not going to Australia, in the November games, um, was, was difficult, but it was also needed a needed rest for me. It was kind of a step back and a way for me to kind of reset, uh, change my life from the East coast to the West coast. Uh, and, um, and looking forward, I want to contribute in the best way possible. And that's both on and off the field. I feel like it was a little rush coming back from, from pregnancy and giving birth in terms of kind of being, um, in with the team, you know, quickly after, but not really, I feel like settling in my role as much as I wanted to. Um, so I want to do everything I can to, um, to contribute to this team's success. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I really just look forward to this next year and kind of the challenges that will rise. Lots to look forward to in 2022. Alex Morgan has just joined the San Diego wave of the NWSL. Alex, congratulations, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Grant. Big thanks to Alex Morgan. Now, here's my interview with Jessica Black. Our guest now is Jessica Black. She's a Los Angeles-based writer, presenter, and pundit who created She Knows Arsenal and contributes to the Football Terrace, Give Me Sport, the Arsenal Vision podcast, and 110 Football on LAFC. You can find her on Twitter at It's Jacinio. 
Jessica, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That intro sounds really professional and good, but like really I'm just a huge soccer nut. So as you could actually just said that, she just is obsessed with soccer. That's it. <laughs> Thank there you. we go. There we go. It's great to have you on the show. Um, and there's a lot I want to talk about here. I want to get to your thoughts on Arsenal and a little bit on LAFC as well. But I wanted to start by asking about your story. How did you get into this space? Uh, what's your story with soccer? Why Arsenal? Yeah, so basically I played. So that's what my introductory into the sport really was. Um, like a lot of young kids, like in their probably mid-20s, early 30s, played AYSO growing up. You know, that was the thing to do back in the day. And um, I'm no different than that. Um, I started playing when I was like six or seven, and I just loved it. It was something that gave me an opportunity to really have friends and talk to people. Like, I'm an only child. So my weekends consisted of having fun with teammates and making friends that way. And it kind of expanded from something that I just did on the weekends to being like a full-blown like thing I was good at because I started playing club quite early and um, it just grew from there. And so I played all the way through college. I went to Georgia State University, played there, and I stopped playing after that. And I didn't really have a connection with the game beyond watching after that point. And if you just fast forward through a bunch of soul searching and, you know, odd jobs doing other things like web design and retail and, you know, all the things that you do in your 20s where you're trying to figure out who you are, um, the pandemic hit. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do without Arsenal and soccer? And I started looking on the internet, on YouTube to see what people were talking about. And I found AFTV that led me to Chronicles of a Gooner that led me to Arsenal Vision and started putting my thoughts out there. And before you knew it, people were asking me to be on their shows and I created my own. And that's where She Knows Arsenal comes in. It sounds like a really easy story. I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs there, but that's pretty much it, you know? So uh, this gives me an excuse to just geek out more on soccer and having a connection with it again beyond playing has felt really good for me and in a difficult time during the pandemic, which I'm sure a lot of people can attest to. Yeah, that's a great story. I, I wonder why Arsenal? How, how did you get attached to Arsenal in the first place? Yeah, so I, well, it's, it's interesting because... I'm probably a little bit older than people think I am, but okay. when in in America at the time, like you could only really watch like the MLS and the U.S. women were starting to become like a big thing back then, and this is like a 1999, you know, to early 2000s, and I just got to the point where I wanted to see more. I knew that there was more out there, and I just wanted to watch, watch, watch as much as possible. And uh, by the way, no girls really wanted to watch beyond me. I was really weird. Like I wanted to watch more. I was huh. obsessed at that point. And so my mom, who's always been like a huge, um, she's the kind of mom that if you, if you're into something, she gets into it. Okay. So she became like a ref and she got really into it and she was like, okay, I'm going to find us some more games to watch. And at the time they would only show the biggest EPL teams at that point, And that was Manchester United and Arsenal at that time. And so the first game I ever watched was a Manchester United game. And so for a minute, I was kind of a Manchester United fan because it's the only thing I knew. I was like, okay, this team is cool. I like this. You know, Dwight York and Andy Cole and, and Roy Keane. This is cool. And then the next weekend rolled around and I saw Arsenal. And 
I just fell in love from that moment. I'd never seen so many at that time. You know, Arsenal had brought in a lot of, um, you know, players from outside of just England. So you had like Patrick Vieira and you had Will Tord and Kanu and, and Thierry Henry. And for me, I'd never seen so many black players on a team before. Mm. And so for me, that was very, it was nice to see somebody that looked like me playing at the highest level. And it just gave me a new perspective. And I just fell in love from there. And we did a couple of trips to, to Highbury and into the Emirates over the years. And it just, even with the little bit of the decline that we've went through, I still love my club. And um, I'll never forget like those first couple of games that I watched feeling like I found my place. Like this is the team that I'm going to follow. I mean, it's amazing to me because Arsenal, I, th- I think, still has a lot of fans in the United States. And it certainly feels like, to me, so much of that is connected to Thierry Henry and the Invincibles and and how important they were and how much they stood out as this just truly special team. And it makes me wonder, like... What would have happened if they if that hadn't existed? Would there be that many Arsenal fans? And a little bit, because soccer's adding so many new fans all the time in the United States. Does Arsenal need to find a way to recreate something resembling that in the next few years or risk losing out on new fans? It's so funny because I always see these memes kind of pop up of um, like old pictures of Arson and, and Thierry and, you know, like the little caption will say like these two guys like got a bunch of people to start following Arsenal, you know, they're they're responsible for all this pain and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, the, the, the funny thing about jokes is that there's always a little bit of truth in it. That's what mm-hmm. makes jokes funny. And so it's true. A lot of people uh, started following Arsenal because of Thierry Henry and Arsene Wenger. And that time was so special for the club. And it's nice to look back, but I do worry that there's nothing really in the immediate, you know, in the present that you can really look at and look at and say like, okay, this is success. I wonder about younger fans, if they will look at Arsenal and say, that's not the team I want to follow. I want to follow Man City or Chelsea or, you know, because I figured that's the reason why I got into Arsenal is because not only because that they had a lot of black players and they played great, great soccer, but they were one of the best, you know? And so when you're choosing, a lot of times you want to choose the better team. So I do think that there is a little bit of a, not even a little bit, like there is a, a kind of feeling amongst the fans where it's like, you know, Arson just came out with his most recent uh, documentary not too long ago. And although I enjoyed watching that, I did feel as though I want to move on from it a little bit because there's nothing right now that we really celebrate that feels similar to that at all. So what we are kind of hoping, I think a lot of us are, is that this new group of players will eventually, within the next five to seven years, give us something to smile about. Because it's not just about winning, it's about being connected to those players. And we just haven't had that over the last 10, 15 years. So you're absolutely correct that although those memories are amazing and they're special in their own right, we need something in the present to hold on to. And we're hoping that we're building that now. Well, let's talk a little more about present day stuff with Arsenal. We're talking on Tuesday and coming out on Thursday. There will be an Arsenal game in between on Wednesday against West Ham. The big news this week is Arsenal has removed the captaincy from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and suspended him from Wednesday's game. What exactly did he do and what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, Aubameyang 
from my understanding, went to go, he got permission from the club to um, handle some personal, a personal matter with his mom, who we have known for a while, has been ill. And they gave him the, you know, the go ahead, the green light to, to travel, to go see her. But there was an agreed upon time and date that he was supposed to be back. And although he did not miss training on Friday, he did miss that deadline. And they asked him to leave on Friday, not to come to training. And um, subsequently, because of that and a couple of other things that have happened in the past, um, over the last 12 months, they decided to remove the captaincy from him. And uh, it's just one of those things where Arsenal is under so much pressure at the moment. We are just a club that is just grasping at the moment. There's a potential fourth place spot available, but you could easily slip into mid-table, you know, so there's a lot of tension. And the last thing you kind of need is something like this. I don't think anybody is saying that Aubameyang is out, like it's wrong for him to go see his mom or anything like that. But when there's an agreed upon time, you would expect him to come back. He's the, the captain. And so it leaves the club in a weird situation. And I know, you know, maybe the, the thought process is why now? Was this the right time to do something like that? Um, but you, we won't know until the next couple of games to see if, you know, there's some fallout from this. But from my perspective, I'm a very rules or rules type of person. I would expect the captain to not only be, I, I expect him to be the first person at training and the last person to leave. And so it's disappointing, but um, this isn't the first captain fallout that we've had over the years. So we'll see how this one pans out, but it is disappointing. So one question I'm still trying to figure out is how good is this Arsenal team? And you alluded to this a little bit. I mean, it's a three-team race to win the Premier League, but based on the numbers, fourth place shouldn't be totally out of the question for Arsenal. How realistic right now is is it to think in those terms? Well, if you had told me at the end of the summer, uh, I don't know if you had been paying attention, but Arsenal came under so much scrutiny at the end of the summer, spending $150 million on backups and nobodies and young players that we don't know anything about. So if you would have told me at the at the end of the summer that we would have an opportunity to get into the top four or be anywhere near it, I would have laughed, you know, because for me, I thought young team going to need some time to gel, probably going to go through some some um, ups and downs and a young inexperienced manager. So I was thinking we'd be lucky to get into the Europa League, to be honest. Uh, do I think it's it's realistic? I think as long as you're within the points, you know, if it's mathematically possible, you can do it. But I think we have to be honest that I don't think anybody expected Manchester United to be as poor as they've been. Um, under Ole, and then now you know they've they've changed managers. Spurs is also a team that, although none of us really like them very much, they are a decent side that have hired probably one of the top five managers in the world. So that makes them a different proposition. And I, there's even a, teams like Leicester who have been in and mm-hmm. around the top four that haven't been performing well. So we have to keep that in mind that they have changed managers and some things can change. But as long as we are within those within those points and we're kind of fighting for that position, we have to act like we're in it. And I personally believe that if we fight for top four and we miss out on it, we may end up in sixth, but that's better than fighting for sixth place and ending up in 10th. Right. You know, so you kind of have to shoot a little bit higher, but do I think we're the fourth best team in the league? No, but are we in and abouts there because we've performed better than probably people thought? Yeah. So I'll take that. 
Okay, interesting. So what have you learned so far about Mikel Arteta as a head coach? Oh, Mikel. So, you know, I, I'm on record saying many times that I just feel like I just don't understand why the club had hired somebody so inexperienced right off of the back of Unai Emery. And that's no shade to like Mikel. I do think that he means well and he really wants to change the club around, change the culture and be the guy that takes us to the next level. But I just think that he this just might be too big of a job, you know. And so when you have a really young team, it's there's no precedent for an inexperienced manager with no senior like leaders leading this young team to anything. It's difficult, you know, for me to feel like we're doing the right thing here. But what I have learned about Mikel Arteta is that he does take the cultural part of things really serious. He thinks that culture is the way forward and we needed to reset. He is stern and believes in his non-negotiables, regardless of who you are. We all know in sports that the better players, the higher paid players, the popular guy, they always get treated a little bit differently. But Mikel operates a little bit differently than that, which is which is interesting. And um, I think that he has a bright future. I just am not sure if it's at Arsenal, not because he's not really capable, but because it's just so much to do. And this is probably one of the hardest jobs at the moment is a declining arsenal trying to climb their way back into relevancy with, you know, when he came in, tons of older players on enormous contracts that were really underperforming and, you know, uh, maybe an owners, owners that aren't, are a little bit more absent, you know, so it's, it's difficult. Do I think that he's doing as good as he can? Probably. But do I think that this might be a little bit too much? Absolutely. So it's hard, you know, but as long as he's in the job, you know, I want him to do well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think in recent years, I mean, I've covered the sport for a long time, mm-hmm. but I really recognize now how big a difference there is between being an assistant coach and a head coach, even an assistant coach at a really high level like Manchester City is nothing like being a head coach, especially at an elite team. And, and I feel like if I were to, you know, in the position to hire a head coach for a place like Arsenal or, uh, you know, something of a high level, I'd want a head coach who had been a head coach somewhere else. Right? Yeah, it's an, it's an odd choice. Like, that's why when they went with him after Unai Emery had really crashed and burned, if we're honest, somebody who had immense experience, somebody that had a track record of, of winning the Europa League and got us within a point, you know, of the top four and um, right on the cusp of Champions League in that Europa League final for us to go in the complete other direction. I just wonder, and I guess this is something that if I ever had the opportunity to ask the Cronkies, you know, what did he say in those interviews that made you think that he was the right guy because there was nothing of note from his CV that you could look back on beyond being a number two for Pep Guardiola, which, I mean, it holds something. But as you've said, being a number two is completely different than being a a manager like in your own right. So I would love to ask them that. Like, what did he say? You know, what did he tell you guys? Because he must have been really convincing. But as a lot of Arsenal fans are kind of saying at the moment, it feels like we're kind of living in hope that he becomes something. But there are kind of some data points there that can kind of tell you who he he is already. And 
that doesn't really align with a top manager right now. So we have to be honest about that. But he is within like a point or two of the top four. So I don't anticipate him going anywhere. But as we know with Arsenal, just a couple of bad results, he is under under pressure. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I really wonder what he told them because there's nothing to back anything up. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with Jessica Black. Uh, really appreciate you taking some time to talk. Just a few more questions here. Um, if you had to pick a couple of Arsenal players you're excited about moving forward, who would they be? And who are a couple of players you're most concerned about? Oh, well, let's, we'll, we'll start off with the ones I'm concerned about and then we'll move to the ones I'm excited <laughs> okay. about. Let's do it that way. So Thomas Party is top, comes top of mind for me. Um, he's somebody who, when Unai Emery was manager, I was desperate for him to come to Arsenal because I just thought this is the type of player that we need. Need a box-to-box player, someone with some physical presence that could um, lead the midfield because we've had such a weak midfield for years. And so when we finally did get him, not this past summer, but the summer prior, I thought, this is it. We've done it. We got the guy. And he had not a single injury on his injury record when we got him, but he, he came to Arsenal and just like crumbled. And he was pretty much injured, I would say probably 60% of last season, which isn't good for adaptation. And we've seen that players from La Liga, not only just La Liga, but for some reason from um, Atletico, they don't do well when they leave. It's weird. I don't know. And so it was disappointing seeing that he couldn't kind of keep keep fit. It was very disappointing because you couldn't have anticipated it. But the games that he did play, you could tell that he had quality. And so this season, I'm thinking it's going to definitely come out this time. But he got a strange injury kind of at the very beginning of the season, got better from it, and they got injured again. And so we're kind of in that place where it's like, okay, are you going to be that guy? You're going to be the injured guy, you know? So, and then now he's fit and we're wondering where that guy is. Where is Mm -hmm. the guy that's going to show up in the midfield, show feet? He had a poor performance against Man United shortly followed up with a poor performance against Everton, and he wasn't necessarily injured. So I am worried about him because when you spend, you know, not like it's coming out of my pocket, but when you spend like $50 million on a player and they're 28 years old, you expect them to hit the ground running. And when they don't, you start thinking, have we done it again? Have we spent a lot of money on a player that is not going to work out? And so it's tough. I think for me, because I believe in the talent, I, I believe he'll come good, but I just don't know if he'll hit the heights that maybe we expected. Maybe we thought he was better than what he is. Um, but that being said, I still expect a very good midfielder to be playing week in and week out for Arsenal Football Club. Is he, Will he be world-class and the best midfielder in the league? Probably not, but I, I do expect very good at the very least. So mm-hmm. Thomas Partey is definitely one that I worry about, and he's probably the main one that I worry about with when it comes to Aubameyang and Lacazette, because I know that they're, you know, 31 years old, 32 years old, kind of at the back end of their Arsenal careers. I don't, I know at some point they won't be here. Mm -hmm. Um, You can look at somebody like Nicola Pepe as well, you know, but I think I've kind of went past the worried part of him because he's been here for two years already. So I think I'm more at the, what are we going to do now situation Mm -hmm. with him? Because Mm -hmm. again, Spent $72 million on a player that's supposed to change the team, supposed to bring something new, and he just hasn't done that. 
Do I think some of it is just the circumstances in terms of the managers not playing to his strengths? Yes. But I think ultimately he's been kind of a disappointment. So Mm -hmm. it's not worry. It's kind of what are we going to do now when it comes to the players that I'm excited about that list, that list is a lot longer. So um, everybody's talking about Aaron Ramsdale. That's a player that I think came under so much scrutiny before he even put on the Arsenal shirt, which I thought was a disgrace. But $25 million for your eventual number one, who became a number one right away, took the shirt off of Bern Leno's back and has been a star in the Premier League and a star for Arsenal, really, for, for this season, I think has been great. 23 years old, you know, goalkeepers really don't hit their prime until they're like 28. So there's just a lot to really love about him. And it's not just he's a good goalkeeper. It's his personality. And when you're like a goalkeeper, somebody that we want to have a personality, you want them to be out there claiming the ball, talking to the back line, organizing your guys. And he does all of that. But he also is just a cool character. He's somebody that you feel like if you talk to him, you would have a good time. And so that Soft factors don't always matter if the player's not that good, but because he's good and then the soft factors are there, he just he just sparkles. And so he's somebody that I'm really excited about. But Kyle Saka, we're, we've always been excited about the kid, super young, um, was kind of a utility-ish type of player for a while, but I've been telling people that you're kind of a utility guy when you're not really good at anything, but he tends to be good at every position that he plays and could probably start, you know, in all of those positions for us. So I just think at 20 years old to be as good as he is and have the mentality that he, he has, it's just unprecedented. Like he's, he's so good and he played in the Euros. Nobody thought he'd play. None of us thought he'd play and he was starting games. So I'm super, super into Bakayo Saka. And last but not least, Martin Odegaard. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I think it, they called him like a prodigy or something like that. Sixteen years old at Real Madrid didn't really work out for him. There's a lot of like, should we be getting him or should we be getting the other guy at at Leicester over the summer? And over the last four games, he scored three three goals. You know, in tough games, and he's showing a little bit of that leadership. And you know, for somebody who is still kind of adapting to the league from La Liga. Um, no less. I think he's doing a really good job and he's a part of that young leadership core that's growing at Arsenal. So I'm excited about him as well. I mean, I could literally probably go through all of the players that we bought over the summer, but those three in particular, um, I'm really excited about. Interesting. Um, I have one more question about Arsenal and that's how closely are you following Arsenal's women's team, which is in first place in the league? I love those girls. I love them (laughs) so much. Like there's nothing more for Like, of course, follow the men's game and you know, that's a big part of my life, but I always keep one eye on the women's game at all times because it's growing and growing up, you know, at the the age group that I was in, I used to play against like Kristen Press and Alex Morgan. So those girls seeing how high they went up in their careers has been amazing and they're changing the game. And so even with Arsenal women, being able to play at a big club like Arsenal, like before they barely got paid, you know, they had to like work at the club to clean it up and doing stuff. Like it was crazy. Like Alex Scott had, had talked about it on one of her interviews um, not so long ago that they weren't respected. And now like you look at these girls and they're actual superstars. Like people actually know their names. Um, people follow them sometimes even more than the men. And so, yeah, I do follow them. And 
top of the league, four points ahead of Chelsea because they dropped points over the weekend, which is massive. And we took care of business. I think we beat Leicester 4-0 or so. It was a big scoreline. And so it's difficult. You know, you watch the team and they're obviously one of the best teams in the world, but you know, there's a gap between us and like Barcelona, probably a small gap between us and Chelsea. But I think there's a good opportunity for Arsenal women to win the league this season. Mm. Maybe not, there may not be the best team, but they've had the best results. And so I look at the team, Tobin Heath is obviously there. So it's exciting seeing one of the, the U.S. women um, end up on Arsenal women team. Um, Vivian Miedema, Beth Mead. All these girls are super exciting to watch and they're top, top professionals. And I just, I love where the women's game is going. And so everything from WSL to the NWSL to international has, is great to watch. And I'm glad that other people are starting to take notice because these girls can play. They really can. It's, it's kind of cool. You mentioned Kristen Press and Alex Morgan having recently just joined the expansion teams in the NWSL in Southern California um angel city in, in los and los angeles and san diego wave down in san diego so that should be an interesting thing to watch i did want to ask about lafc because i know you follow them as well out in la how are you feeling about that team who would you like to see as the next coach to replace bob bradley oh it's a difficult one because i feel like lafc 2.0 is kind of here now that original group that had started with the kind of like founding group of that team is now starting to move on. And I think they would have moved on a little bit quicker had COVID not happened. So you're looking at like situations with like Eduardo Tuesta, obviously he's leaving and he was one of our bigger midfield characters. Um, we're not quite sure what's happening with Carlos Vela yet. Right. And um, I think there's changes afoot. You know, even when you saw Mark Anthony Kay leave, middle of season, Diego Rossi leave middle season, you're thinking, okay, things are really going to change. And I'm a little bit disappointed just because I feel like that group was so talented and I don't think they won as much as they probably should have. Um, this last season was really, really tough. You know, didn't even make the playoffs. We were really stretched, bad injuries throughout the entire season. So I'm feeling like things are going to change and there'll be new characters around and it'll be time to restart the project again. In terms of who do I want to be the coach, I'm not, I can't, I don't know. I really like Bob. I did. And I just, I, I think of him as the coach. So whoever they choose, I think, you know, we'll see what happens, but I can't really add anything because I just feel like I'm not quite sure who would be the best choice at the moment. I just, I'm still a little bit like, oh no, Bob, he's gone, but the team will be different. The style of play will probably be different. And I think I'm more concerned about whether or not we keep Carlos Vela around. Right. I think losing him would be a huge loss because he's, for me, I think he's the best player in the league. So losing that level of player after Atuesta, Rossi, and, and Mark Anthony K, I think would only make it more difficult, you know, this, this upcoming season. So we'll see what happens. But at the very least, we need to finish above the Galaxy. I'll, I'll have no less than that for this next next season. That is the the bar that I'm setting because there's just no way we should be finishing below them. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Bob Bradley is now with Toronto. Uh, yeah. We'll see about Carlos Vela and whether he stays or not. If he does stay, he needs to not be injured as much and, and get on the field more often. Um, I guess my last question for you would simply be, 
how do you divide your time between the things you're working on uh, these days? How do I divide my time? I mean, I wish I was better with time. You know, when you, you get to a certain age and you're just kind of like, you know what, these are just things I'm not good at. And one of my things is prioritizing my time. Like I try to fit as much games in as possible. I watch anything that I could possibly watch. Watch Serie A if you tell me to, La Liga if you tell me to, the Bundesliga. So for me, it's kind of like I watch a lot. I stay up at times I'm not supposed to. I get up earlier than probably I should. And I just try to fit it all in. But to be honest, it doesn't feel like work. So when the work comes around, I just kind of do it. But in terms of splitting my time, it's been easier for me to take more time to focus on Arsenal because the MLS season has ended. And so I'm not covering LAFC at the moment. So I've had a little bit more time to, you know, watch the women play and to be more invested in the Premier League and and to watch Serie A and La Liga because I haven't had a chance to watch them. But I mean, that's only going to be for like another month or so and the MLS comes back around. But again, it doesn't feel like work to me because it just... If you would have told me that I would have had the opportunity to get paid to like follow the sport that I love, I'd be like, what are you saying? Like, I'm going (laughs) to slap you. Don't ever say that to me like you're lying. So it doesn't feel like work. I pretty much just my day is really long because it starts kind of when the people in the UK wake up and then it ends at the very end of the US workday. So I just kind of fit everything in, but it doesn't feel like work. And right now, since MLS is not really going on, I'm pretty cool, you know. So ask me again in a month, (laughs) and I'll probably be pulling my hair out. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica Black is a Los Angeles-based writer, presenter, and pundit who created She Knows Arsenal, and she also contributes to the Football Terrace, Give Me Sport, the Arsenal Vision podcast, and 110 Football on LAFC. Jessica, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Alex Morgan and Jessica Black, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.